Henry Adams wrote to his brother Charles, The only really competent prize-fighter against John Adams was old Tim Pickering, whom I regard as a stunning writer and critic. Against him I find it difficult to stand up. A good life of Pickering would be my ideal of a task. And Henry Adams wrote to Samuel Eliot Morrison, You have now pretty well completed the story of Boston Federalism. Only Tim Pickering remains, and I much wish you would do him. Timothy Pickering has been no favorite of American historians, who only dimly remembered him as an enforcer of the Sedition Act and John Adams's disloyal Secretary of State until 1877, when Henry Adams brought him back into prominence as the man who attempted a New England secession in 1804. The only full defense of Pickering, published a century and a half ago in four large volumes, was a partisan hodgepodge of materials assembled by his son and a collaborator. The best-known recent books about him are two volumes written by Gerard H. Clarefield, and Clarefield considers Pickering a fanatic. It puzzles me that some people spend their scholarly lives concentrating on a person they despise. Perhaps that makes sense if the person is a great moral threat or scourge of history, sympathy with whom could be morally dangerous, a Hitler, say, or a Stalin. But Timothy Pickering? Two fine doctoral dissertations take a more balanced approach to Pickering than Clarefield does, but both end their account before Pickering's twelve-year service in Congress, when he carried on his campaign against Jefferson, and that is the time my book concentrates on. The only sympathetic treatment of Pickering, written in the twentieth century, was a series of three articles by Harvey Putnam Prentice, who exaggerated his influence on New England Federalists. This is not a promising record for a man who might throw some light for us on the problem of Jefferson and the slave power. Nonetheless, it is hard to see how a man so vilified, when not forgotten, could have been called to the range of positions he held in the formative period of our country leader of the Salem militia in the Revolution, adjutant general in Washington's army, member of the congressionally appointed war board, quartermaster general of the army, Washington's special emissary to various Indian tribes, second postmaster general of the United States after Samuel Osgood, second secretary of war after Henry Knox, third secretary of state after Jefferson and Edmund Randolph later elected by the state of Massachusetts twice to the United States Senate and twice to the House of Representatives. Who is this man who combines such a distinguished resume with a reputation so ragamuffin? Pickering was born in 1745 to the man for whom he was named, a tough public nag whom he resembled, tall and cadaverous and humorless. The elder Timothy was deacon of the Third Presbyterian Church, a breakaway body from which he would eventually break away, always the keeper of strict doctrine while others backslid. An independent farmer in the merchant city of Salem, he was a loud abolitionist in a place whose harbor circulated about a hundred slaves through the city at any one time. This elder Pickering, vociferous in city councils, sounded off as well in the Salem Gazette, soon to be his son's first forum. As local doggerel put it, T. Pickering is his name, 
a man that spends his time in wrangling for his dear self-ends. The son, with his plain Puritan dress, was as ascetical as the father. They were, if anything, more scathing against aristocrats than Jefferson, and neither of them, unlike Jefferson, was ever mistaken for one. Henry Cabot Lodge rightly stressed the democratic instincts of the son, who wrote, Having from my earliest remembrance of reflection of the kind looked on all mankind as possessing equal rights, I am wont not to make those distinctions between the high and the low which gave birth to the term politeness.